The comedic icon Harold Ramis died a little less than two years ago at the far too young an age of 69. My introduction to Ramis was in the 80s through his role as Dr. Egon Spingler in the two Ghostbusters movies, which he co-wrote. He's also remembered fondly by many as the writer-director of 1980s Caddyshack, of 1983's National Lampoon's Vacation, of 1993's Groundhog's Day, and perhaps slightly less fondly, maybe mediocrely, for uh, 1999's Analyze This, followed by Analyze That. Uh, Most critics agree that Ramis peaked with his masterpiece in 93 with Groundhog Day. Starring Bill Murray and Andy McDowell, Groundhog Day is actually the sixth and final collaboration between Ramis and Murray. Any fans of the film Groundhog Day out there? Okay, that's going to help. A lot of you have seen it. Uh, And one definition of what makes a film or a movie or a song or any piece of art a classic is that it continues to be a source of wisdom, that it offers new insights with each repeated encounter through and beyond many lifetimes for many people. So on this morning, two days before Groundhog Day, I'd like to invite us to revisit Ramus's classic film to see what wisdom there might be for us today. The movie opens, as you may recall, on February 1st, which all children look forward to as Groundhog Day Eve, with uh, Bill Murray's character, local TV meteorologist Phil Connors, standing in front of a weather map and saying, somebody asked me today, Phil, if you could be anywhere in the world, where would you be? And I said to him, probably right here in Elko, Nevada, where, the high for, where our nation's high is today of 79 degrees. And both there and then even more so in the further opening scenes, you can hear Phil's discontent with his life. And after that night's broadcast, he's obligated to make the 90-minute trip from uh, Pittsburgh, where he is, to Puxatani, PA, for his fourth year in a row covering the annual Groundhog Day festivities, an assignment that he views as beneath his immense talent. Now, I should mention that 2016, will this Tuesday, will actually be the 130th anniversary of the first Groundhog Day. Uh, has anyone ever attended the actual, you know, Puxatani Groundhog Day festivities? Okay, I haven't, I've never actually met someone who's been, so if you go, let me know, I'll be curious to hear. It's, it's actually only three hours from here. Uh, if you go, be forewarned, if you've seen the film, that, that the movie was not filmed, ironically, in Punxsutawney. It was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois, because, uh, that was what, because Woodstock, Illinois, has the town square that Hollywood feels like Punxsutawney should look like. <laughs> you can uh, look up simulacrum later in the dictionary. Um, the, the premise of the film is that Phil gets trapped in a time loop, and the origin and rules of that time loop, I think, wisely are never explained in the film. But the upshot is that no matter what Phil does, he wakes up every day, and it is yet again 6 a.m. on February 2nd, 1993. Do you remember where you were February 2nd, 1993? I mean, it's probably an unremarkable day, right? And that's part of the, the point of the film. 
For everyone else, it is as if they are living February 2nd for the first time, but for Phil, the number of times he has lived through this particular February 2nd just keep stacking up. On day one, when the time loop hasn't started, Phil's narcissism is on full display in his sarcastic treatment of everyone that he meets. When the owner, the the lovely, kind owner of this bed and breakfast asks him, will you be checking out today, Mr. Connor? He replies snidely, chance of departure, 100%. But when Phil wakes up on day two and begins to realize slowly and surreally that it is still Groundhog Day, the first cracks in his ego begin to show. This time, he responds more nervously. He's beginning to be unsettled. He tells the B&B owner, chance of departure, 80%, 75-80%. Phil is having what is sometimes called a train wreck event, uh, in which one's worldview is suddenly and irrevocably challenged. I suspect you can think of parallels in your own life or in the life of those you love, of these train wreck events in life. On day three, one of the many signs that Phil, like the rest of us, is a fast learner in some areas of his life and a slow learner in other areas of his life, he accidentally steps for the third day in a row into the same large puddle that he stepped in the previous two times. He just hasn't yet learned. And feeling demoralized because of that and many other events to come, Phil begins to despair. And that night, while attempting to drown his sorrows in the local bowling alley bar, Phil says, You know, I was in the Virgin Islands once. I met a girl. We ate lobster and drank pina coladas. And at sunset, we made love like sea otters. That was a pretty good day. Why couldn't I get that day over and over and over Because it's easy to be your best self on the beach, but the trick is becoming your best self every day. Suddenly, Phil realizes that, hold on a second, if there's no tomorrow, then there are no consequences. And thus begins many days of hedonistic hijinks that I will not go into, but eventually Phil tires of these adolescent pursuits and that even the most outrageous options begin to seem monotonous because he's done them all so many times. And Phil's postmodern pilgrim's progress continues through a few more stages. He even tries both killing himself multiple times and even kidnapping that famous groundhog, Punxsutawney Phil, and taking him out with him to see if that critter is the source of his travails. But it's not, and every time he just wakes up in the same bed, in the same room, and the world has reset itself once again to 6 a.m., February 2nd. 1993, that inauspicious day. Eventually, Phil begins a prolonged pursuit of self-improvement. He starts practicing generosity for the first time in all those many repetitious days. He gives money to that homeless man that he's passed every single one of those days that he had previously ignored. He starts reading books. He starts taking piano lessons, learning French, even learning to expertly ice sculpt. Now, admittedly, these pursuits are at first a cynical attempt to win the affections of Phil's producer, Rita, played winningly by Annie McDowell, but Phil turns out to be changed in the process. 
In perhaps the most profound part of the film, Phil comes to befriend that homeless man that I mentioned earlier, only to discover devastatingly that even with seemingly unlimited times and chances, he is unable to save that homeless man's life. He tries countless changes to how he approaches the day and every possible medical intervention, but he is never able to prevent that one homeless man from dying each and every one of those repeated nights. There is a limit to whom we can save and to what any of us can accomplish. Ultimately, though, Groundhog Day is not a tragedy. It's a comedy. And when Phil stops trying so hard to impress Rita and lets her experience for herself the person that he has become, he's able to finally break out of those old habitual ways of being in the world. And this time, when he wakes up in the morning, at long last, it is February 3rd. So how long was Phil stuck in the time loop? Now, you can go deep down the internet well trying to figure this out, and many people have. Uh, You know, how long did it take him to learn the lessons that he needed? Well, the the film doesn't say explicitly, but Ramus' own uh, estimation, kind of calculating from all the clues in the film, is that it's something like 30 to 40 years That's approximately 10,000 to 15,000 Groundhog Days in a row. And on one hand, that feels like a lot. On the other hand, as someone in his late 30s, there are lessons that have taken me close to 40 years to learn. And there are many lessons I have yet to master. As Scott was saying, just ask my wife, right? She'd be glad to tell you, I'm sure. Uh, perhaps some of you can relate as well. You know, what were the life lessons that it took you till your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and your 50s and beyond to learn? What are the lessons that you wish people in your life would learn in their 20s or their 30s or their 40s or their 50s? And which patterns do you continue to be stuck in? Now, there are many possible lenses through which to view this film, and correspondingly, our own lives. One from the 19th century Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard is to see Phil as progressing through the stages of the aesthetic to the ethical to the religious. Phil's early adolescent rebellion of no consequences epitomizes that hedonistic stage of the aesthete who only cares about their own pleasure. And those self-improvement regimes, which really have many positive results, they culminate nevertheless in facing one's mortality, the limitations of what we can do to help ourselves or to help others. That's a classic example of Kierkegaard's ethical stage. And finally, Phil passes into the religious stage, which in this case, in many ways, is Taoist. Only when he stops pursuing his love interests so selfishly, so cynically, so forcefully, and instead simply is his natural evolving self, is he able to authentically connect with the human being across from him. Related to Taoism, there are also many significant Buddhist themes in the film, which isn't surprising since Harold Ramis um, was married to a Buddhist, and he calls himself, while not fully Buddhist, at least Buddhish. Uh, 
And, and fascinatingly, as detailed, there are a lot of special features accompanying the DVD that Ramus heard back very enthusiastically from multiple spiritual communities. So from Hasidic Jews to the yoga community, all talking about how they were so grateful for Ramus portraying in this popular Hollywood film their particular you know, theology or philosophy and not seeing that it was really resonating really across the, the spiritual uh, map. Many people in the therapeutic community also saw a lot of connections that this repetition in Groundhog Day can be seen as the perfect metaphor for psychoanalysis of revisiting the same material with increasing insight each time. Along those lines, remember how the film began. It's Groundhog Day Eve, and Bill Murray's character is standing in front of that weather map saying, if you could be anywhere in the world, now he doesn't answer right here in this present moment in this place, right? No, he says, where would I like to be? Probably Elko, Nevada, our nation's high today at 79 degrees, and no doubt at where he was in that season of his life, it would have, the next day the answer would have been somewhere different, wherever the mercurial weather is best. But after spending 30 to 40 years of Groundhog Days in Punxsutawney, PA, where he was dreading spending even one day, he, when he finally makes, wakes up, and it's the day after Groundhog Day, he turns to Rita and said, Today is tomorrow. Let's live here. We'll rent to start. As the proverb says, wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, if you aren't working through your karma, your emotional baggage, if you will, you'll likely find yourself slipping back into old habitual patterns that create the same suffering for yourself and those around you that you've already been through again and again before. But there are ways of increasingly escaping, incrementally escaping self-involvement and connecting more and more authentically with others and with this world. There are many different paths to getting there from Buddhist to pagan, from humanist to Muslim, from Jewish to Christian, and we have various groups here at UUCF for helping you go deeper on those paths towards which you are most drawn. But regardless of your choice, it takes commitment, and it takes time, and it takes work. Relatedly, part of what is fascinating about the thought experiment that is Groundhog Day is that Only Phil really changes. Everyone else is the same. But as Phil's piece of the puzzle changes, there are ripple effects everywhere. We can't change everyone, but the film invites us to ask whether or not we are changing what is in our control, and that is how are we treating ourselves in the world, how are we treating others in this world, and how are we treating this one earth? starting with what we can most control ourselves. Finally, it's no coincidence that the film is set on Groundhog's Day. As Scott alluded to earlier, Groundhog Day coming up this Tuesday is our secular version here in the U.S. of what the ancient pagan earth-centered traditions call in bulk. That day precisely halfway in between winter solstice, the longest night of the year, the darkest day of the year, and Spring equinox, that day, the first day of spring that is equal parts daylight and night. 
This Tuesday is halfway in between. Groundhog Day plays with that turning point on the wheel of the year with the question of whether Punxsutawney Phil will see his shadow. In the film, Bill Murray's everyman meteorologist, also named Phil, right, is faced metaphorically with the same question. On Groundhog Day, on in bulk, will he, will we, turn toward our shadow? Will we turn further toward being in the world in an unconscious, habitual way? Or will we choose to live more intentionally? Will we choose uh, increasingly to make the unconscious conscious so that increasingly we can respond rather than just react habitually to whatever we encounter? Regardless of what others around you are doing, are you ready to do what you can do most easily and readily? Are you ready to change your piece of the puzzle? Setting aside what others are doing, are you ready to change your piece of the puzzle? And as we move toward this midpoint between winter and spring, what would it look like in your life to move more toward kindness, more toward generosity, more toward connection instead of alienation and isolation? What might such a choice unlock in the days and weeks and years ahead? What might be unlocked by simple things like offering to snowplow your neighbor's driveway? What might that unlock in relationships and connections in the future? Just little acts of kindness and generosity and connection. For now, as I move toward my conclusion, I invite you to hear a poem titled Before I Knew to Look by the singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer. She writes, How often it is the fine detail, a small thing, that snaps me back to the here and now. Amber light coming through the trees, the slippery soft sound of creek water running beneath a tender filigree of ice, My impossibly happy dog rolling in fresh snow. The give and chop of a carrot on the cutting board, luxurious as sleep and rich as drinking cream. The image of two grown men wiping tears of laughter from the crinkled edges of their eyes. It is as easy to be lost as it is hard to be lost. But I am growing bored with tomorrow, with what will be, with how I will be then, of worried speculation and detached dreaming, phantoms only. Those are the flip side of creative imagining. I am happiest these days when yesterday is an old friend with whom I share much history, and tomorrow is willing to wait for its own time above the horizon line. I am most content when I find my own life right here in the bowl of my cupped hands and sense that that hollow place is actually filled with light, light that was already there before I knew to look. 
So as we prepare to go from this place, I'll offer you one final thought. When it isn't covered by snow, as many of you know, in between the sanctuary and the chapel in our courtyard here on the ground is a labyrinth. It's a 13th circuit, a chart cathedral, like in France, style labyrinth. Though that, that labyrinth pattern goes, actually, you can find them in ancient Crete. You know, it's, it's a geometrical pattern that people have been playing with for a long time. And one of the, and I encourage you, if you've never walked the labyrinth, or it's really worth doing regularly. It's why we have a monthly full moon uh, labyrinth walk. But the, 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 and the way to, there's many ways to walk the labyrinth. One traditional way is in three parts. And it's, of course, there's no trap door or minotaur at the center, right? You know, it's okay. Um, and the three parts are uh, purgation, illumination, and union. So that purgation, or sometimes called shedding, is that when you're getting ready, there's, it's a universal pattern, one way in, one way out. So that shedding is the first stage. To, as you walk down that circular path to the center, to similar to what we do at the beginning of the service, what, with each step, what do you need to let go of to be more fully present and connected and grounded in that present moment? So you start with purgation or shedding. And then at the center, what's called um, illumination. So in the center, what, what is there in that present moment? What wisdom kind of emerges for you? Or what do you experience in that present moment that might be for you just right then and there? And then the third stage is union, of taking what you've experienced, how are you, as you walk out, how are we going to integrate that? How are you going to live differently as a result of having that experience? And I think the labyrinth is actually, uh, in many, many ways, um, a metaphor for the spiritual journey. And one of the profound parts of that metaphor is that you're just walking in a big circle, right? But that, like Groundhog's Day, right? That's, that's part of the point. You're walking in a, a circle, but with an increasing intentionality and increasing awareness that most spiritual practices, when done immaturely, are seen as a way of escapism, as a way out of the world. Whereas a mature spirituality, what you'll find in almost any tradition, is it's a sinking deeper into the depth, sinking deeper into the um, life that you already have. Now, don't hear me wrong. There are, to- there are toxic institutions. There are toxic relationships. There, there are times when sinking deeper into the life you already have is not the right answer. There are times to run. We can talk about that if we need to later. Uh, but I think when you do reach that place where you want to spend a long time in one good place, that, that the metaphor and other spiritual, uh, of the labyrinth and other spiritualities are trying to sink deeper into the life you already have with gratitude and kindness and increasing humility and generosity. So as you go from this place, continue your journey in love. Care for one another and care for this one earth. Do justice and make peace. And as you go, whatever taste or touch you've had in this time and place of hope, of love, of peace or joy, that goes with you out into the world. We're different for having spent this time together. So live boldly and with thanksgiving. Go in peace.